Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Paul says to the church at Corinth, after they'd made this commitment and and not fulfilled it, he says to them, I want you, Corinth, to do what the churches of Macedonia have done. Those Macedonian churches are the church at Philippi. We have the book of Philippians written to them. Another church there was the church at Thessalonica. We have 1 and 2 Thessalonians written. Then the church at Berea that the New Testament mentions that church. Paul says to Corinth, I want you to be like those churches. Give like they gave. It's interesting. He mentions, he describes them as a a church with a severe, verse 2, severe testing by affliction. And then he mentions their deep poverty. That testing by affliction means persecution. It's interesting. If you will read Philippians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you will find the culture of those churches was that they were persecuted. it's, It's just the... The, the nature of where they were. It was a way of life for them. So these churches that begged Paul to let them give to another church to help that other church, those churches, poverty and affliction was a way of life. That phrase, deep poverty, it literally it means down to the depth kind of poverty. Yet they begged for the privilege, for the opportunity to give. Some feel like between First and Second Corinthians, some some roguing preachers came, traveling preachers came through, and, and they convinced the church at Corinth to support them instead of the church at Jerusalem. And maybe that's where the money went. We don't know. That's what the people gave to. But I've seen it happen where people make a commitment to give, and then they hear this appeal from out here, and they change that commitment to give to somebody else. Well, I want to go through here in this passage this morning. It is still morning, isn't it? And look at five. Basic truths of application for us as we think about how should we give to the cause of Christ. Number one, just like the churches in Macedonia, I must give myself to God first. Don't miss this. We've been singing about it all morning. We've been praying about it. I give myself to God first. Look at verse 5. It says, not just as we had hoped, and said they gave themselves especially to the Lord, and then does especially can also be translated first, first priority. They gave themselves to the Lord first. That's where they began. In verse 9, he says, Let this grace abound to you in everything, because you've given to the Lord, because you belong to him. We read Psalm 24 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it last week. Everyone belongs to the Lord. And if you're a Christ follower, you belong to him twice. Did you know that? He created you. You're a part of his creation. He shaped you. He made you. He breathed life in you. You belong to him. But when you become a Christian and a follower of Christ to receive Christ as Savior, you've been bought with a price. You've been bought back. The the, the biblical word is redeemed. Isn't that interesting? He owned us because he created us, yet we sinned and fell away from him. And through Christ, he bought us back. Tell you what, when you reject Christ, you're not only rejecting the fact that he did something for you, but that the the creator of the universe sought to redeem you, that you are worth enough for him to give the life of his only son for you. You give yourself to God first. 
We said last week that that heart's going to follow that treasure. What's important to you? Do you value the things of God? Your heart's going to follow that. Do you value the things of God? That's going to reveal where your heart is. It's a, it's a, a circular thing. Give yourself to God first. I used to have a cartoon with my, in my study, and it was a picture of a man being baptized. And the pastor was putting him under the water like we do here, and the guy was just about to go under the water, and, and he had his hand up in the air like this, and his wallet was in his hand. And he was going under, keeping his wallet out. Now that's funny, and I don't think you need to baptize your wallet too, but it expresses where a lot of people are. Lord, I'm going to give you almost every, every part of myself, but I'm going to hold that back. Now listen, this morning, you may be holding back financially. You may be holding back a, a part of your life, a, a, an attitude, a relationship. You may be holding anything back, but when Christ calls you to come to him, he calls you to give it all up. When Christ has you, he has what's yours. Don't forget that. If you're a Christ follower, you belong to him twice. So that's an important truth here because this is what the Macedonian churches did. They said, we give ourselves to the Lord first. Secondly, second principle here, give the first fruits of my income. Give the first fruits of my income. That may be a new term to you, but I just want us to go back to uh, verse 2 in in chapter 8. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy, isn't that great? Affliction and joy and their deep poverty. It overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. And I testify that on their own, according to their own ability, they, they, beyond their ability, they begged us. They insistently begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. We've given ourselves to you, Lord. Now we want to give what we have to the cause of Christ, to the ministry. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 35, I know it's Old Testament, the Bible says we're to bring the first fruits of the land in every tree, fruit tree to the Lord year by year. See, there's an Old Testament principle that that carries over to the New Testament, and that is what, what, what belongs to God is everything, and it's important to bring the first to the Lord because it shows that it all belongs to Him. We talked about this last week. When I tithe on my income, it doesn't say that 10% belongs to the Lord and everything else is mine. It says this is an indication that it all belongs to God. And to show that priority, I'm going to give him the first of my increase. Listen, if you wait until it makes sense with your checkbook and your logic and your common sense before you give the Lord anything, you'll never give him anything. This first fruits is this, this concept that, God, I'm going to put you first and let everything else fall into place. Kelly's grandmother used to say, I learned early on, I'm going to take care of God's business and he'll take care of mine. God, I'm going to give you what belongs to you as, an, as a, a reminder that it's all yours and you take care of the rest. Some of you are struggling with your 90% because maybe your attitude is that's 10% and the 90% is mine. Again, it all belongs to God. And he wants you to give the first to him. Make that your priority. Proverbs 3.9 says, I'm to honor the Lord in my possessions and the first produce. It was, a, it was a picture when the people harvested their crops. Usually the first of the harvest was the best. And they would take that and say, this is, this is the best we've got. Let's give it to the Lord. What if, the, what if the rest of the crop doesn't prove as good as that? That's okay. I'm giving it to God in acknowledgement that he'll take care of me. 
Folks, it's an attitude. It's a principle. It's not going back to the Old Testament saying, I'm not, I don't want to be legalistic about it. It has to be the first. It's a principle. It's an attitude of heart. Do you see that? What did Jesus say? It indicates your value as you give. An indication of the heart. Give the first fruits of my income. Give, give the first thing. That ought to be the first thing you do when you get paid. Lord, I'm setting aside this part for you. I, I'm not really sure how the rest of that's going to work, but God, you know. I'm going to trust you. Do you know that we talk about trusting God in the big things? We built this building debt-free. We purchased property debt-free. We're about to build another building debt-free and remodel our children's wing debt-free. And we think, man, we can trust God in the big things. But, but on a weekly basis, when you say, God, I'm giving you the first of what I've made, and I'm going to trust you with the rest, it shows faith. The Bible is big about walking by faith. I give myself to God first. When he has me, he has what's mine. I'm going to give the first fruits of my income. Number three, and this is the best part for me, give willingly and cheerfully. Give willingly and cheerfully. I'm just amazed by the contrast in verse two. Severe testing and affliction. Deep, down to the bone, deep poverty. Abundance of joy. Wealth of generosity. Give willingly and cheerfully. As Paul continues in this chapter 8 and 9, he even talks about this this giving in in chapter 9. If you look at verse 7, he says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Someone used to say, old preachers used to preach, give till it hurts. My father-in-law used to preach, give till it feels good. These Macedonian churches, you say, well, pastor, you don't know how difficult my financial situation is. If you knew how tough I've got it, no, I don't. But I'm looking at this church, these churches in Macedonia, and they had it worse than you will ever have it. They not only were struggling financially, probably because of their faith, probably because they wouldn't participate in the the, the labor guilds and they were being isolated and ostracized by the community. They were being persecuted financially and spiritually. Yet they gave willingly, cheerfully. Can you look at giving as a privilege? That's That's what these churches did, cheerfully, willingly. I was thinking this week about some of the privileges of parenting. And Kelly and I are empty nesters now. We're loving being empty nesters, but we love it when the kids come home. But one of the things about being an empty nester, you no longer have to pick up after them. I wrote a list here. You no longer have to monitor their schedule, where they need to be, when they need to be there. You no longer have to build a hedge of protection around them and monitor their friends who come and go. You no longer have to wake them up when they oversleep. You no longer have to wake them up. Remind them to do their chores. Close the door so you can have some peace and quiet because their friends are over. Some of their friends are here today. We love those days. You no longer have to move their car so you can get your car out of the driveway. Let me tell you something. Those were, at the time, kind of... I want to do this again and again. But man, it was a privilege to do that. 
Now that, now that I don't have to do that stuff, I kind of miss it. What's wrong with me? See, would you think about that in the context of a, of a local church? And do we, do we have to give? No. We could close the doors. We could turn off the air conditioner. We wouldn't have to give to make that thing run. We could get rid of all these chairs. We have to give to maintain that. We, could, we don't have to. It's a privilege. We get to. I have friends who pastor churches where they would long to have some of those parenting privileges again. They would long to have to stand up and say, would you all scoot over? We don't have room. They would long to be able to say, would you please park far away so our guests can have the up-close parking spaces? They would long to say that, but their churches are dying and they're desperate. See, giving says, God, I thank you for this privilege that I have to give so that the ministry can flourish. See, God looks at the heart when we think about giving willingly and cheerfully. I don't believe as God looks at the Macedonian churches and their gift to the to the saints in Jerusalem, the believers there in that church. I don't think I would say, well, let me, let me check how much you guys gave. Let me check how much you, got, get, you gave. I believe he was looking at the heart. I, I believe from Matthew chapter 6 that God takes note of the heart when we give. So let me tell you something. The amount that you give isn't what God's looking for. He's looking for the heart attitude. heard about a little girl who heard that the pastors say that we're to give a cheerful offering to the Lord. And her mom had given her a dollar and some change for her allowance. And she brought her offering to the Lord. And the offering plate came by. And, and her mom watched her. She only put a quarter in there. And her mom said, you had much more to give. Why did you just give that little quarter? She said, well, I, I knew I'd be much more cheerful if I gave just a quarter. <laughs> Folks, that's not what we're talking about here. Mark Twain said one time he was so sickened by the length of an appeal for an offering that when the plate came by, he not only didn't put anything in, he took a bill out. Wrong attitude. Hold that place and look at Mark with me, the the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. I just want to highlight again that, that God's looking at the heart. By the way, if you're uncomfortable today about me talking about all this stuff, check your heart. Look at verse 41. As many of the passages in the Gospels, this one is also centered around a bunch of religious people being around. And sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little King James speaks of a widow's might. Two coins, tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she has given out of her poverty and has put everything she has possessed, all she had to live on. God looks at the heart. I, I can almost guarantee that those people with wealth putting large sums of money in that. Not always, but 
in this context, they may not have been giving it cheerfully as unto the Lord. A lot of what the Pharisees did was getting, giving to be seen. Jesus speaks of that. But this widow gave all she had, and I bet she gave with, a, with joy in her heart. Can we give that way? And I, I would also say this. Probably some of those people who gave the large sums of money had second thoughts about giving that much. And I bet you as that widow gave, she probably prayed, Lord, I wish I had more to give. What's God make a note of? The person who gives a little but says, God, I wish I had more? I believe that's the case. I give myself to God first. I give from the first of my income. I give willingly, cheerfully, enthusiastically, whatever word you want to put in there to describe the believers at Thessalonica, I mean the, the Macedonian believers, Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. But number four, Another principle from this passage is give a percentage of my income. Give a percentage of my income. Back in chapter 16 of of 1 Corinthians. The Bible says in verse 2, On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside and save in keeping with how he prospers. Some translations say in keeping with his income. It, there was a, a sense that they were, they were encouraged, give a percentage to this offering. Now understand, this was a special offering to help a church that was in need, but the principle applies, give a percentage of your income to the Lord because that reminds you that it all belongs to Him. If you've been around church a while, you know Malachi 3, give the full tenth or tithe to the Lord, bring it to His storehouse so that there, there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this way. See if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. And we've looked at that passage for years and seen how God is just telling us, bring it. And some people say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Okay, here's the principle. If it was required of the Jews to give 10% of their income, by the way, if you want to get real technical, it was like 23 to 30% when you add up all the tithes. We don't think about that, do we? We'll talk about that in a minute. Say, that's Old Testament. Okay, how much more then... As we live this side of the cross, experiencing the redemption the way we do and understanding the the fullness of access with God, should we be even much more willing to give that much and more? See, that 10%, that percentage is an acknowledgement that everything is the Lord's. So I believe in percentage giving. My conviction is that 10% is the bare minimum a Christian should give. If it was the starting point for an Old Testament believer, how much more should that be the starting point for us? Some of folks in the churches that I've pastored have really felt good that they've been giving 10% of their income for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I'm thinking, that's a bare minimum. At what point do we step it up beyond that and say, God, I'm going to move beyond that 10%. Give a percentage that acknowledges that God owns it all. Number five. Give weekly to God through the local church. Give weekly to God through my local church. Don't miss this. There have been many times where a a child especially will walk up and hand me their offering to give the pastor their offering. And I, I know what they're saying. I know what they're doing. But I just like... I don't want you to give it to me. Sometimes people walk up and say, here's my offering. I say, there's the boxes over here. Because you're giving to God, not to me. 
You're not giving to Coastal Oaks Church. We're going to mess up. You're not giving to this pastor. He's going to mess up. We're giving to God through the local church. I'm going to tell the story. I pastored a church that had ceiling fans in the worship center. They were ugly. Ugly. The only time we used the ceiling fans was in the winter time when the guys forgot to turn the heat off and it got to be 85 degrees in the worship center. We turned the fans on. That's the only time I think we ever used them. We finally decided to take them down. It was, a, it was a, one of those, took a move of God to convince them we needed to do that. I didn't realize it, but they, they really weren't ceiling fans. They were sacred cows <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. And people started calling the church. I was totally flabbergasted. And this is what they were saying to the secretary, and she was relating to me. So-and-so wants their ceiling fan. I said, what? Pastor, you weren't here back in 1970-whatever. When we took up a love offering and we had people purchase a ceiling fan. So for 25, 30 years, I don't know how long it was. Those people still felt like, that's my fan. And when things didn't go the way they wanted them to go, I want my fan back. What does that sound like? Sounds like the little kid, football game. I don't like these rules. I'm taking my football and I'm going home. Let me tell you something. When you give to the Lord, it's his. Now, we want to be good stewards. Let me tell you something. We are good stewards here. We, we have accountability like you wouldn't believe. In our financial area in this church, we're being as good, good a steward as we can because we know that you give of that, you entrust us with that money as a church staff and leadership to do it. I under, you need to understand that there's good stewardship here. So we're not saying just give it and trust God, anything's going to happen. We're being good stewards, but you need to release it to God. You give to God through the local church. And I think weekly is important. He says in in chapter 16, again, on the first day of the week, on, on Sunday, when you come to worship the Lord's Day, bring that tithe, bring that gift to the Lord. It's a weekly reminder that everything belongs to God. You say, Pastor, I don't get paid weekly. I get paid every other week, or I get paid once a month. You just work it out to where there's a reminder for you every week that it all belongs to God. We give to God through the local church. We've made it as easy as we can here. We really have. You not only can give in those offering boxes as you leave today, you can go online at our website. You can give online with a debit card, not a credit card, just debit card. You can, give, you can pay by check. You can set up a, an automatic draft from your bank. And we've made it as easy as we can. You can give off your cell phone. I do it on some Sundays just so I can say I did it. Now, in, the, in days past, I would wait for the offering plate to come by and put my money in the plate. Now I, I tell it to do it. It's the same thing. It's a weekly reminder that I'm giving to God through my local church. Well, there's so much I want to say here. Can you tell I'm editing as I go? You're not supposed to be able to tell that. At least Fitzpatrick has written a book called Because He Loves... And in it, she tells about a, a European vacation that she and her husband took. 
and they went to country after country, and she said, we were tourists. When we went into the country, we'd get our passport stamped. We'd exchange currency. We'd learn a few key phrases. We'd visit with the natives. We'd go to their outdoor markets and museums and sample the cuisine. We'd exchange a few niceties with the locals, she says. We'd sit on the steps of cathedrals and watch the town go by. We'd take a picture or two. Maybe we'd purchase something to remind us of our visit in that country. We had a wonderful vacation. But our hearts weren't changed in any significant ways by our little visits. But then they weren't meant to because we were tourists, she says. She says on any given weekend, many tourists can be found in church. They pop in for 45 minutes or an hour. They sing a chorus or two. They exchange niceties with the locals. They sample some of the local cuisine. They might even purchase a book or a CD to remind them of their visit. And then they race to their cars to get to their favorite restaurant before, or they rush home before the game. For many people, she says, church is simply about being a tourist. And our land is full of tourist-friendly churches. Folks, this is not a, a place that is sustained by tourism. This is a place that's sustained by people investing their lives in the kingdom. That's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ who says, I'm not just going to show up and, and check it off and maybe have a good time and walk away. I'm going to invest my life there. We said this before. You become a Christian by committing your life to Christ. When you come to church, you become a church member by committing your life to other believers. There's an investment here. There's an accountability here. When you give to God through this local church budget that's very closely guarded and monitored, you're giving so that the ministry can continue here. So your pastors can be available for weddings and funerals and visiting and ministry so that things can happen every Sunday morning so that you can come and worship. The list goes on and on and on. We, we give through our local church budget. Some of that money goes through what's called the cooperative program of our convention. And that money goes on to missions, state missions and uh, national missions and international missions. Local outreaches take place. The list goes on and on. When you give to God through this local church, ministry happens. And some people feel like they should just give wherever they feel led. Let me tell you something. I believe... Biblically, this is where ministry happens. It's most likely that in a local church like this, you first heard the gospel. It's very likely that you've grown through the ministry of this church or a church like, like this. You were probably married in a church or by a pastor of a church. Maybe your children were dedicated in a church or will be dedicated in a church. Much of your social life, if you're here, revolves around the church. When you die, your funeral will either be in a church or performed by, officiated by a pastor of a church. Why not give to God through the local church? People tell me all the time, well, pastor, I give to this ministry and that ministry, that's my tithe. I believe, this is my conviction, that, that you start with the local church and over and above that you can give to other ministries. That that's, that's just makes sense biblically. Well, there are a lot of people out there appealing for your money. You turn on the TV, turn on the radio. Oh, my goodness. Give to us, give to us, give to us. I love what Charles Lowry said. He, he heard about a TV ministry that said 
Send us $100 and God will send you $1,000. They call that seed money. You heard those? Charles Lowry says, you do this. You call them up and you tell them, tell you what, you send me $100 and I'll pray that God sends you the 1000 I hope I said that right. Does that make sense? Be careful of those people that appeal for, for funds by using those appeals that draw you emotionally in. Make sure if you give beyond the local church, it's a biblical-based ministry, a Bible-based ministry. I just want to close with this. Look with me at 1 Kings. Chapter 17. Beginning in verse 8. I want to wrap up with this passage because it illustrates what I believe God is after when it comes to the area of stewardship. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is to Elijah. Get up, go to Zarephath, that belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. And Elijah called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a cup and let me drink. And as she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives. She knew he was a prophet. As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now, listen to this. This is the Macedonian churches. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so that we can eat it and die. Folks, that's deep down poverty. Then Elijah told her, this is God's representative. In that day, the prophet spoke the word of God. Okay, this is God's representative. In essence, God is sharing truth with her. Then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. How much was there left? Enough for one cake, apparently. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain to the surface on the land. He ends the drought. Here's what God says to her through Elijah. Would you just give me what you've got and trust me to provide the rest? Will you in the, the heart of your deep down poverty trust me to take care of you? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. God says, I'm going to give you this reminder every time you come to worship. I'm going to give you this reminder from my word constantly. Jesus talked about it, that we need to be reminded all the time that everything belongs to him. And we can trust him with our livelihood. Will you give that way? When we give that way, God is honored. I want you to look, if you have your outline at the bottom, this is application time, all right? 
We're going to put these bullets up here so that we can walk through these one at a time. We're going to, we're going to just prayerfully in just a moment as we bow in prayer, I want you to, to pray about this list. This is how I'm asking you to apply what we've talked about today. First of all, this might be your next step. I will begin giving a tenth of my income to the Lord. That's that bare minimum. That's tied. Maybe you haven't done that before. And maybe this is your commitment today. I'm going to begin doing that. Secondly, maybe this is your next step. I will pray about increasing the percentage I give to the Lord. Maybe you're one of those people that says, I've been given 10%, and every time there's a sermon on tithing, I say, amen, amen, amen. God, speak to everybody else. But today God's speaking to me. It's time for me to trust him in this area. Number three, or the third bullet. I will begin giving to God from the first fruits of my income. Maybe you've been waiting, and maybe you're giving, but you're waiting till everything else is makes sense, and, it's, and you got extra, and you give it to God. Would you say, I'm going to give to God first? Maybe that's your next step. Possibly your next step is to pray about your involvement in missions and giving to missions. We have the Reach Texas offering today. Maybe God's spoken to you about something else and you need to fill in that other line. Maybe there's a heart issue. Maybe there's another issue God's been stirring and you haven't really heard much of what I've said as I've talked about stewardship and giving because God's been dealing with you about that thing. Maybe you need to write it down and say, God, I give that to you. So let's pray. Would you bow with me? We're going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to check those boxes as our worship team comes to lead us.